0: hello everyone and welcome to the bootstrap founder today i'm talking to colleen schnettler co-founder of hammerstone and built-in public podcaster we talk about getting bootstrapper compatible funding juggling way too many projects and selling a business when you know it's time to move on here's colleen you're the co-host of two podcasts where you talk about your software businesses at this point We can talk about this later you share a lot about them on twitter too and people can read a lot about this whole journey do you consider yourself somebody who builds in public is that like a kind of perspective that you take on your social media appearance
1: yes but really i build in public to keep myself motivated more than anything else
0: That's an interesting perspective. (laughs) Honestly, I think that's one of the the basic reasons why people do this, like for motivation and accountability.
1: Especially in the beginning. Like, I'd love to say it's altruistic, but I'm going to be honest, in the very beginning. So I started Software Social with Michelle before I had a product. Mm -hmm. So there's nothing quite like... You know, tweeting about what you're working on and getting on a podcast every week to keep you motivated to actually build a product, so yeah. you can have something to talk about on your podcast.
0: Yeah, I, I think the I, you can see this. I listen to your podcast. Let's <laughs> <It's laughs> the, the plural here because uh, both of them are very interesting, but mostly uh, software social. That's something that I take out on my walks with the puppy. That is usually my, my morning entertainment. If there is a new episode, you you follow me along with, with the little pup. And throughout a year, two years now almost, that you you had your, your little SaaS product. And we can talk about that too. There's also the big SaaS product. But, you know, <laughs> let's, let's start with the, the little one. I, I've seen you just go through all these little challenges, all these uh, moments of, of doubt, moments of joy, you know, the ups and downs of a journey. And what I found... Michelle always pulled you back or pushed you forward. There was always this mm-hmm. accountability level between the both of you. You both give each other the opportunity to be accountable to each other, which is really nice. Was that an intention when you started the podcast? Was that something you wanted to do with it or did that just happen?
1: I think it was a little bit of both. I mean, Michelle has is so much further along in her software journey than I was, especially when we started. We had a really nice dynamic where she has already seen a lot of these things that I am am going through and was going through as I got that business off the ground so I think it just kind of naturally flowed in that direction and worked out really well has worked out really well for both of us
0: Mm -hmm. yeah this is quite noticeable you still seem to enjoy talking to each other every now and then
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) we're very good friends so that helps and now that she lives on the other side of the world it's nice to have a dedicated time to catch up
0: yeah yeah I bet I, th- I think it's important to, to keep in touch with friends to begin with. If you can then combine that with an actual like business consulting yeah, It's m- like moment. a win-win. Right? It's, it's, it's wonderful. How, how do you manage that time-wise? Because like, recording a podcast is quite a lot. And recording two podcasts, yeah. co-hosting two podcasts is quite a lot. And then running a software business beside that is a lot. Running two software businesses beside that is even more. How do you manage that?
1: It is a lot. Um, <laughs> the- <laughs> Is it? You know, it's interesting because when I got into all of this, when I started this, and things started just working out for me, and you know, opportunities seem to abound, and these things all just bring me so much energy. And not to sound cheesy, but like they they literally bring me joy. And so I ha- I have had people in my life who are a little concerned. They're like, "Are you going to burn out?" And all of these things like just bring me energy because. I am, my professional life goal is to build cool things with people I like. And so that's all of these things that you mentioned that they all do that. Like for, for, um, simple file upload, I hired my sister. I've got the podcast with Michelle. I've got the business with Aaron. All of these things I'm doing are, are kind of fulfilling, filling my bucket and, and pushing me in the direction I want to go.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I th- I think that this directionality that's very obvious because to me it feels your journey is almost like the poster child example of stair stepping interest, like from mm-hmm. one thing into the other. Right? You you yeah. come from a software developer background. You started a little project which was an add on on an existing platform, which is simple file upload, and we can talk about that, and I might want to. Yeah. It's super exciting. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Now you're you're moving into like a standalone SaaS with, with um. With the whole hammerstone business, which is also super exciting, I, let's 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 go back to you starting your your first product. Let's start with simple file upload because yeah. that to me is the epitome of the first step of stair stepping. That's what at least what Rob Walling of, of Tiny <laughs> yeah, That was exactly what, who I was you know, thinking like, of. <laughs> what, what what he says: build yeah. one thing on a platform, try multiple. Yeah. If it doesn't work, and then build this steady stream of income. How did you start building simple file upload?
1: So I think, you know, I got the advice. I have a friend who has a very successful Heroku add-on. So he, you know, he, I have always wanted to start a software business, but when you're starting from zero, it is completely overwhelming. Cause not only do you have to build the product, then you have to figure out how to sell the product, which is a whole nother set, and distribution. And all of these things are two separate things. And so um, he had encouraged me to look at the Heroku marketplace and um i'm so glad i did because having that built-in distribution channel for my first product made a tremendous difference so yeah i wanted to build something i had no ideas I, I this was not my first idea i had you know i had i had come up with ideas before and and tried to do customer interviews and i just felt like i wasn't making progress i wasn't getting anything off the ground so eventually it was just I just had to build something and ship it. I was pretty new to software development. I'd only been a developer, a developer for a few years. And so I didn't have this like wellspring of confidence in my development ability. And so i I think it got to it got to a point for me where I just needed to build something put it in a marketplace and even if no one bought it like i had to that was my first hurdle like can you build a product like yeah you can do your work at work and you can close issues and you can build features but can from start to finish can you figure out how to build a product people can use
0: was there anything surprising along this learning journey towards building an, an add-on, even just, and I don't want to belittle it, but, you know, <laughs> even, even just a plug-in where a lot of things are already taken care of? Was there anything you did not expect to happen?
1: Well, I think the whole thing was new, so I didn't really have any kind of expectations. I mean, I think that um, for me, it was like a lot of new tech, actually, I had to learn because I didn't really know how to build something that would be easy for a user to integrate. And there was so much of that, like, like instead of just building the thing, it's one it's one concept to build a feature in an app, right? Most of us are pretty competent and familiar with that, but like things that I had to figure out was how do you build this feature, pull it out, make it, you know, make it so this other person can implement it in their app. And what is the tooling surrounding that? And so from a technical side, it was, it was a lot. Um, even I had to I have always had other people at a job, right? You have a DevOps guy, you have a you have the guy who knows everything about AWS. I was just me. So I didn't have those people.
0: <laughs> you have so, to be those people, right?
1: Yeah. I had to be all of those people. And so I had to learn a whole lot about CDNs and architecture and things that I had always just pushed off to another developer on my team. Be like, yeah, this person knows how to do the CDNs and the the Cloudflare and all that. So So honestly, for me, like from a technical perspective, I think it, I learned so much like leaps and bounds just to get there from where I had been, because you suddenly own every piece of the product, like where the file's going, where the backup file's going, like, like how, you know, it's just, you own that whole product and, um, it's a lot
0: Mm -hmm. Like it's it's a a surprising amount, right? These little things that are behind the facade. Even if you already are an established backend developer and you understand how backends work. The business part of it the fact that you have to deal with compliance sometimes or backups the stuff like that all of a sudden you have to support a whole other infrastructure there yeah that's what i wonder because i've never built anything on heroku and i think it's an interesting platform i run my own SaaS there my permanent link is on heroku and it's just you know chugging along i don't have to do anything which is great and using add-ons on there too. So I, I was wondering like how was working on that platform in particular for you? As somebody oh, who's so, never done this before.
1: Yeah. Okay. That's that's um an excellent question. I think Heroku's a great platform. And let me tell you why. Because back in when I was first learning to code back in two thousand and twelve, I wrote an iOS app and I published my iOS app to the app store. And, you know, that this was again, this was 10 years ago. So this is that guy had just published some stupid game and he made a million dollars. So everyone thought they were going to be able to do that. And yep. so Flappy I published this, I published this app to the iOS store and I sell like, I make no money, right? Like I make zero negative $30 because I made $60, but you have to pay a hundred dollars to be in the developer program. Okay. <laughs> so thanks Apple. And I'm bringing that up because Apple didn't have, and again, it may be different. This was 10 years ago. Apple didn't have like really strict rules. Like it wasn't hard to get in the app store. And so the app store was a totally flooded marketplace. Heroku makes it really hard to get in the app store. You are not even allowed, like it's reviewed by a human. You have to write documentation that meets their standards, reviewed by a human. You have to get a hundred users before they will let you charge for the product. Wow. So it yeah. takes like months to be accepted. But because of the high standards the marketplace has, it's not crowded. It's just, it's, I mean, there's other apps in there, but it's not like an Apple iOS app store where there's, you know, who knows how many apps it's not that crowded. Um, their API is good. Like, like building on top of their API, like the documentation was good. Um, it's really nice again for your first app. It's really nice to they do all the billing, right? So they just they just you know send to your endpoint. So it's really nice to have that managed for you. Um, those are the pros. I'd say the biggest pro is just being visible in their their marketplace. But I have cons too. If you'd like to hear them, yes,
0: please. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, of course.
1: <laughs> <laughs> the cons is thirty percent is kind of high. Um, that's what they take. They take thirty percent. And so you see, and and um, you know, so every month they give you a report, and you're like, yes, like whatever it is, uh, and then you're like, it's like like what you've billed and then their share, and then what they're actually going to pay you out, right? Um, and and again, when you have nothing, you don't care, but once you're actually making money, you're like, oh wow, I gave you hundreds, thousands of dollars. Okay, cool. Um, but one of the kind of interesting cons, okay, the the other also they they're not as big as like Cloudflare. I'm um, not Cloudflare. Someone else has a marketplace that I had looked at too. Maybe it was Cloudflare has a marketplace. Do they have a marketplace? Do, a marketplace? Do you know?
0: I'm not aware. Yeah, I know that the Shopify has that kind of stuff, but no. definitely. Uh, anyway, there's yeah, some so
1: other, it might be, I'll I'll have to look later. Um, they don't have the kind of like, like I wouldn't, you know, like a shop, Shopify is a good example. Like they don't have that kind of reach, right? Heroku's not that big. I mean, they're big, but they're not, that big. So it feels like you are prematurely capped by the reach that they have. And then also billing is weird. You don't really have they don't give you access to your billing metrics. And so you have to manage all that yourself. So now, you know, trying to get like a valuation, I don't know what my churn is because I don't have access to that data. Like I just haven't been, I didn't set up my own analytics thing. And so I just don't have access to that. And the way they bill is confusing. So they'll bill people based on, um, prorated usage. So if you sign up for it, try it for a day and then deprovision the add on, you get billed for that one day. So so things like that are kind of hard and you have very little control over your marketplace listing. You get one page. It has to be in a certain format. They tightly they tightly control your market listing, which is kind of a pain once you actually want to do marketing.
0: Yeah. Sounds like a pretty typical walled garden, you know, yeah. with a, a high barrier of, to entry, which is great, but also I guess for that reason, high constraints, which make it kind of hard to deal with it. And the fact that's such an interesting thing about these marketplaces, the fact that they don't give you access to these analytics or insights just shows who they're building this for. <laughs> Certainly not for you.
1: Right? <laughs> not for it's me. Not quite
0: quite <laughs> obvious. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I'm. Thanks for sharing this. I never knew that the the platform itself was so picky, which is really great at least for me as in the perspective of a customer of Heroku, that is good to know that the stuff that makes it onto that their marketplace is actually vetted it reminds me a little bit um of the, the firefox browser extension people for some reason like uh, for chrome you can post whatever they have some automated system to validate your extension but firefox has to my knowledge and that is also a couple of years old gonna have to to put in the um time passes uh caveat here they have people looking through those extensions and actually checking them for malicious code. That was ah, it was great nice. to know. It kind of sucked yeah. when somebody didn't understand my code, <laughs> you know, and yeah. then came, came sure. back to me and, and said, "No, we're going to deplatform the whole extension until you fix this." And I was like, "Okay, we have a couple thousand customers using it, but sure, why not?" So that was a that was a sad moment, but you know, like it's good to have platforms that do this. Find that very interesting. Okay, so. That extension seems to be, from what I know, and I have to ma- make absolutely sure that I'm not parasocial relationshiping this conversation because I'm listening to you every week. <laughs> so I know exactly <laughs> what you're doing, what you have been doing for a year. <laughs> I know social. that the people listening to this show probably don't do this all the time. So just want to make sure that we catch up uh, on the things that I already heard about. But you know, that, that um, your extension currently is around $2,000 in monthly recurring revenue, right? Yep. and uh, yes, and I heard on that the very show that not everybody listens to unfortunately, they should really um that you're you're ready to move on from this two questions: yes. mm-hmm. why and mm-hmm. why now
1: okay this is these are excellent questions, <laughs> so I am well I don't to say ready, I'm considering <laughs> moving on from this um Well, because my other startup has raised money. So I, you know, as you pointed out at the the top of the pod, um, I have a lot going on. I also have three children. And so I'm a little bit busy. And I think to give my other business the full chance of success to grow it to the size I want to grow it, it needs all of my time and attention. And that also, I mean, we just raised money. So that's both why and why now. Like the timing, the timing for that is is ideal.
0: Yeah, uh, that that sounds about right. right? You, <laughs> you only have so much so much time in a day, and even though this is nice to have this income coming in for yeah. a, what I assume to be a pretty low touch business, because it's an extension it that you know doesn't doesn't require too much in terms of support and, and stuff, but it still requires some of that. And and it has some. I, I would assume from my experience with with passive income that is never passive. That's never there's passive. There's always some yeah. some brain space occupied by that project, right? Is that is that still happening for you? Even though it's low touch.
1: Yes, and I have kind of a funny story. So I get I rarely get. I haven't told this yet. I rarely get support requests, but when I do, they can be gnarly. So I had um I had this support request come in from a customer in the country of Colombia, wow. and he was clearly panicked right like so he emailed me and scheduled I have an open scheduling like he emailed me and scheduled a call like that day like you know in an hour and i get on the call with him and he can't see any of his images cuz i'm a hosting service so i both upload your image and i host it for you and it's essentially it helps you get around Heroku's ephemeral files file system and man i could i could see all of his files were loading for me i checked my firewall he wasn't being blocked at the firewall like so it was just, it was a complicated it turned out the dns in the country of colombia was down oh
0: God. Like, <laughs> it's always dns so, it's always it's dns
1: always right and so this is like kind of one of those situations where i didn't even like they took us a while to figure that out. Right. I had to ask like a friend who's like a DNS expert. I'm like, why can't this guy get his files? And so he showed me how to like, here's how you check the DNS in different countries. Turns out it's down in the country of Colombia. Um, so, you know, sometimes the support requests are challenging and they'll take, uh, they'll take several hours out of a day. And so, and, and the other thing you said, it's like the mental overhead of having something and it's hard for me as kind of an ambitious, excited person not to, it's hard for me not to think, like, I have so many ideas for Simple File Upload, ways it could grow. It's hard for me not to just want to, oh, if I could just take, like, one day, one day, you know? So, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. And then that day turns into a week because you have a much better idea on that day. You know? right. it just takes a little bit longer. <laughs> you know, what could just happen? a little bit. <laughs> I mean, that, I think that's, this is the perfect position to sell because, you're not desperate to sell right you yeah. you have a have a growing business that just keeps doing what it's doing and you have these ideas of how it could grow even better that's that's a great sales pitch and i i think that is the perfect opportunity to sell it in and i'm from from what i know you listed it on micro acquire for 120k that's that's what currently and depending on when this is released it might already be sold
1: Who knows? <laughs> you know, we'll see. it's
0: that, that is that is a substantial amount of money for a really cool project with a lot of potential so I, I think it's a it's a perfect time a perfect position to be in um yeah I'm, I'm just I'm just really happy for you that you got to this point and that you Thank now you. get to experience this it's such it's really a cool time like to, to sell you. a business to to find people to make it not just en- enrich you in the process which is always great but also keep your customers happy, keep building this product into something even better, right? I I would assume that's important to you.
1: It is very important to me. And I've had a couple people reach out and they just didn't feel like a good fit for that. I I mean, it's really important to me too, Arva, because there have been so many people who have been supporters of mine since I started the podcast and the business, which started at the same time about two years ago. Um, It's just important to me that, I don't sell it to someone who doesn't care, I guess. No.
0: I mean, the, buying something for $100,000 that you don't care about, that would be pretty stupid, be, to be quite That'd honest, be weird, right? right? <laughs> <That'd> be <laughs> that, weird. that would be very, very <laughs> short-sighted, but you never know. And I think— You never know. Like, I, I call this um, seller-side due diligence, what you're currently doing, like making sure that people are actually the right people. For yeah. the process, I think that's extremely important because we have a lot of buyer side due diligence. They want to look into your non-existing analytics. They want to look into your, <laughs> your your dashboards and whatnot, right? Your P&L and whatever weird documents you have to draw up for them. But you can do that too. As somebody who's interested in actually selling a business, you can check them out. I think that's probably the most important thing you can do at this point besides picking a number that's high enough for you. So I'm, I'm glad you're doing this. Let me take a second to tell you about the sponsor of the show microacquire is a free startup acquisition marketplace that connects founders with serious buyers to help get their online businesses sold quickly and easily microacquire has been sponsoring my podcast since the beginning and i'm excited to share their plans to help more bootstrap founders succeed starting in 2023 they're rebranding to acquire.com to show the world that they can help startups of any size get acquired their mission is the same to help founders achieve life-changing outcomes and continue building game-changing tools that make acquisitions easy for all. With over 35,000 messages sent between buyers and sellers in any given month, if you're thinking about testing the acquisition waters, now is the time to join Acquire.com. So I heard you already uh, had a couple of pretty interesting offers, but that that you declined, right?
1: I did. And okay, so I, I mean... You know I don't I haven't done this before so I'm just winging it um I did have two people and and these weren't like letters of intent these were would you take 80k and I said no and so I don't know I mean I think to your point I'm not in a rush and I know the economy's bad right now it might be it might not work out because of that but I have infinite time I don't have any pressure to sell this business um so I'm going to wait until I find the right bri- right buyer at the right price point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think people will need file upload <laughs> no matter what the economy right? is doing.
1: Anyway. <laughs> of it's, course. This is a great
0: economy protected uh, feature or tool that you <laughs> right. have there. I think it was Everyone a good idea. Everyone needs I mean, files. There definitely are products, I, I would assume, in the, the many Shopify and Heroku marketplaces right now that are suffering because they are nice to haves. But if you, yeah. use, if you have customer data, which... Files are definitely, and most SaaS businesses have files somewhere. I think you're in a, in a pretty good position that you're not one of the first ones to get canceled if people have to reduce the, the budget for things that they have or, or things right. that they buy. So yes, yeah. that was a good position. Was was that an intentional thing? I, I don't want to like talk too much about the business that you're already in the process of selling at this <laughs> Getting point. Enough. Although, although it's no, interesting, no, I'm happy to. I, I just, you know, but was, was that an intentional choice when you picked that particular problem to solve?
1: It was not. Good. It was, I was a, um, you know, I was a consultant, so I'm, I'm working on, maybe I'd work on an every, a new app every six months. Everyone has this problem and it's one of those features. That's just a pain to build. It's more complicated than it should be to get right. And it was just like, I really, I just built it for myself. Like I went to my, you know, I had started with a new client, whoever wrote their file uploading software just didn't seem to really have a good grasp of what they were doing. Um, and so I had to rewrite it and I was like, this is ridiculous. Like I need to just productize this, make a component and then sell it. And I think people will buy it. Um, And there's a lot. It's interesting, too, when you look at the market, because there's a lot of really big players in the space, but there are not a lot of players that cater to small businesses. So I feel like that was kind of where I'm trying to slot in with this business.
0: Yeah, it it definitely has the first of the name is very clear that it's a simple tool. I think that's that's like compared to stuff like Cloudinary that are exactly already by their name trying to encapsulate everything. Right, you're just okay. This solves one particular problem. Enjoy that. That feels like a more indie product than than the competitors in this space. Yeah, very cool. I, I'm I'm just I'm amazed. Yeah, I can, I can I can just flat out say it. It's cool to see somebody solve a problem that they found critical in many other things. Which is like, like doing consulting or freelancing and figuring out the things that are common that you commonly solve that don't seem to be solved in a good way. A wonderful way for stair-stepping into building software-as-a-service businesses. Just perfect for that because you have the professional insight not only on how to build it because you've done it multiple times before, but you know what they need. You, you, you it's right. not just what you can build, right? <laughs> Typical <laughs> software engineering problem, right? You, oh, you can build everything, but do they need it? Um, how did you – did you sell it back to these people that you uh, – Built other things for prior or did you go for a new customer base?
1: No, I sold, that was who I started with. I sold it back. So I built it not for, like, I I built it on my own time. Like, I didn't get, I didn't have the opportunity to build it for a client and keep the IP. So I built it on my own time. Um, But then it was such a win-win because I'm able to sell it back at, depending on their storage needs, it's like $35 to $80 a month, which is so much cheaper than hiring a developer to build that out for you. So... It was a super win-win selling it back to clients that I had worked with before as kind of like a first, is this the right direction Um, product?
0: Mm -hmm. Were were these people among the first hundred that you needed to be able to monetize it on the platform?
1: Yeah, (laughs) they were.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. That that is such a nice way of bootstrapping your bootstrapping. Just genius. I I, I love it. Cool. I I think that's inspirational. If I was a software engineer right now trying to figure out what to do, and doing freelance work, I would take a pretty huge example here in doing what you're doing, just fo- trying to follow the same pattern. Very cool. Now, let's talk about your next step that is currently happening. Let's talk about refine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's, let's get into that. Because I'd love there's, to. There's, there's one thing that is quite distinct here, other than the fact that you took money, which is a whole other thing, but you're doing it with a partner. You're doing it with Aaron, Aaron Francis, right? How did that yes. happen? How did you... First of all, how did you meet? How did you come up with the idea? And how did you kind of channel it into an actual business?
1: Yeah. So this is kind of a funny story. So Aaron is a Laravel developer. And at his full-time job a couple of years ago, he found himself constantly having to write custom reports. So he basically line itemed into his contract that he was going to build a report. It's it's really more of a filter builder than a report builder, but a filter builder and keep the IP because he saw the potential in this product. And Aaron likes databases more than most people on the planet. So he was super into this. And so what happened is he built out the product for the Laravel space and a big enterprise client came to him and said, Um, And he had a, he, uh, so he started with another partner. We had a third partner and um, they worked on the front end and the back end to make a full stack solution. And an enterprise client came in and said, Hey, we want this for rails. We've been following your work. We're really interested. We're doing this rebuild and we want this for rails. And so Aaron doesn't write Ruby on rails. So I know him, I mean, kind of The same way I know you through random Twitter, social networks, right? Like it'd be almost the same if you're like, Hey, want to come build this? So he reached out to me and asked me to build it for Rails. So I actually was working for him and his partner as a consultant, building out the product in rails. And, um, and so we did that for maybe a year products, maybe like almost feature complete and the contract was over. So I actually went and took a full-time job <laughs> and, um, about three, two, three months into the job, the enterprise client reached out and said, we love this product. We have huge, a huge vision. Like we, there's just a vision for what this could be. We need full-time support building this product in our app. And so through a lot of excitement and negotiations and fun, they brought me on as a full partner. I quit my job. And so that's how I joined Hammerstone, which is the company name. Hammerstone. Yeah.
0: That has a lot of ups, downs and <laughs> sideways and back. Cool. What a what an interesting uh, journey. It sounds to me like having a customer actually wanting the product that you're building is pretty good validation for joining a team and making a thing happen.
1: Yes. Yes. I mean, and it's a really interesting problem too. Like it was super fun. I love working on it. It's a real gnarly technical problem is how do you take this super complicated thing and make it fun, not fun, make it well fun, but also make it easy make it easy for people to grok make it easy for people to add in their application so it's a fun technical problem and i think a lot of us especially us in the indie space like we like solving fun technical problems
0: oh yeah and i i have just the question about that because i was i've been thinking about this like following you on the journey You're trying to sell a product to people who love solving problems. Like you're selling to developers, essentially, or at least you did in the beginning. Can you talk to me? Can you talk me through like the process of how you found your actual audience, your potential prospective customer base in this? If they're so hard to convince to buy anything they could build by themselves?
1: So this is such a good question because... We were selling to developers, but just, what, this week, we decided we need to change our focus and sell to product managers. And it's a little bit funny because my original kind of idea with this was lean into the interesting technical details to get developers interested to get them to want to buy the product. So I gave two, so I speak at conferences a lot, Rails conferences, Ruby on Rails conferences, and I gave two very technical talks at these Ruby on Rails conferences. And then of course, as you just alluded to, what happens is afterwards people come up to talk to you and they don't say, I want to try your product. They say, that's really cool. I want to go build it with that tech you just talked about. (laughs)
0: Okay, shooting yourself in the foot. Great. Good oh job.
1: yeah, big time, big time. Lesson learned. Like yeah, that... but that's
0: developers, right? That's just mm-hmm. people who whose whole job it is to find interesting problems to solve. It's gonna be hard to give them a solution to something that they would like to just have a shot at by themselves. So if you if you're now looking at product managers to sell to, you probably have to change a lot in your positioning too, right? Because if if you're selling a tool to developers. You can't sell a tool to product managers. You have to sell an outcome. You have to sell something more tangible to a, to a product manager. How are you going to approach this in the, the coming weeks and months?
1: Yeah, so that's a lot. We've been thinking about that a lot because you're absolutely right. When we first thought we were selling to developers, we had one plan, which was kind of show them how cool this tech is, but also how hard and how we've mm. already solved it. That was a terrible idea. That didn't work at all. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, so I think with product managers, we're going to be focusing more on the business value. Because of our 20-ish, we're early, maybe 20, 25 customers, the people who are buying our product are very small teams where the engineers are very product-minded. And so they can see, I can buy this. It's going to save me months of time. And then I can focus on my differentiating features. But to your point, most developers don't think like that. They don't value their own time. And so for product managers, the focus is going to be more on For less than the cost of a developer, you can buy our product and you can give your customers custom reports or segmentation, background email jobs. So for you, like if you're you're the product manager, it makes it stickier for your customers. So now your customer can come in, let's say you have an analytics tool and they want to segment their email list. We do that. Let's say they want to build custom filters and save those filters. We do that. So th- so that's kind of be the new positioning like for le- that's for less than the cost of a developer we can give you these sticky features to keep your customers engaged to bring you new customers to set you apart from everyone else who doesn't have this.
0: That that's very outcome oriented and I love this because I, as makes- a developer myself <laughs> I had to train yeah. myself to think that way because nobody ever told me that that's the way that most people in the world see purchases, right? Like, particularly what you just said, like, I don't really value my time that much. I could spend 10 hours solving a problem that I could easily, like, pay $5, $10 for, have it solved for me, and I will still go for the 10 hours every damn time. It's bizarre. But it's just how, how, yeah, how I'm trained, and what I've developed over time. So I, I love the fact that you're going for outcomes and I love what you just said in terms of the pricing of it, like for less than the cost of a developer, that leaves a lot of room for interesting pricing. How have you been approaching charging the right amount of money for those, I, I would say more enterprise kind of customers?
1: Yeah, this is such, it's so funny because we just last, last week, we're at the Tiny Seed Retreat and we spent a lot of time talking about pricing. And so pricing is hard. Um, even for our base package, like we initially to buy the component, it's initially like a thousand dollars a year, which we are realizing is way too cheap for what it is. And so that's one thing. And then you have these big customers and the big customers involve an aspect of support and onboarding. And so, I mean, I, I I don't know yet. (laughs) I mean, we're going to be i think it's going to land for the bigger customers depending on what what level of support they need we're we're looking here's what i learned here's what i feel like i have learned since i started all of this like if you want to build a really profitable business you've got to be able to charge really high prices it, well i guess you did that without charging really high prices, but
0: anyway, it's not a hard you know. and
1: fast rule, but it helps. Um, it's not a hard. Okay. So what we want to do is we are already in a position with this one enter. We really have two bigger clients that we've been able to charge really high prices for. And so what is the price and how do you structure that offering? Like, is it one person, successful founder, like runs a multiple hundred million dollar a year business was like, you should charge a $100,000 a year. I was like, really? (laughs) That's Uh a lot. Um, So I'm not saying we're going to do that, but I think we are trying to think differently about this. Like if we really, now our product needs to meet that statement, right? Like the product needs to be, Good enough that it can replace a developer and it provides that value to their customers. And there it is stickier. But if we can do that, I, I think we're gonna probably start at 25k. And this is for like the bigger enterprise clients. We're still gonna do something different for the smaller, lower touch, lower touch customers. But it's just a different mental model, I think, compared to a simple file upload where you're like, I should only sell this for $10 a month. You know, like when I listed Simple File Upload at $35 a month, it felt like, I was like, no one's going to buy this. Like it's way too expensive, you know?
0: (laughs) Honestly, I think that that is one of these extremely limiting beliefs that we have, particularly if we're developers, because what you just said that this kind of moment of, oh no, this is $35. Come on. Like that is just, we wouldn't pay for it because again, we don't value our time. We would rather spend a day solving this than spend $35. But most people out there have a completely different perception of how much something is worth. And I found in many founders, in, indie hackers, solopreneurs, people who come from the, the software scene, they have an extremely hard time charging more than they would be willing to pay for something like this themselves. That's, That's an excellent point. Extremely limiting... Because they cannot imagine that somebody out there would actually spend money to solve problems. It's bizarre. That's an
1: excellent point. Yeah, because we wouldn't do it. Because we're like, I could build this. Even though, you know, with what we charge in a day as a consultant, it's a lot more than $35. Yeah,
0: Yeah, it's this weird cognitive dissonance between the lived reality of everybody out there and our little developer world in our minds. Bizarre. I'm 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 just yeah I'm I'm very interested in seeing where you go with this. I know that at some point during the next couple months of my dog walks in the morning I will learn more about this, so I'm very happy to <laughs> to know that you are building this at, at least uh, you're talking about it in public, building this in public too. Now that you have the the tiny C team and the, the mentor network and all your peers and stuff uh, be, be behind you beside you around you how is this going to change the way you approach this business? Just I'm, I'm asking because many software businesses that don't take funding, they just, you know, slowly grow over time. But the moment funding is involved, even though it's bootstrapping compatible funding, you know, where they don't have these gigantic growth expectations, you still take funding to be able to move forward in a different way. How are you going to approach this for, for Hammerstone?
1: So I think, I mean, this funding really enables us to focus on growing the business and it gives us a little breathing room. So I'm not going to like hire, you know, it's not like, it's not that much funding. Like I'm not going to go hire a team and, and, you know, try to scale real quickly. That's not what we're doing. It gives us, but it gives us a little breathing room to try and grow the business in a sustainable, profitable way. And the difference for me personally is I am still consulting. I'm consulting as a Hammerstone co founder, but I am still consulting essentially full time. So all of the business stuff takes a back seat to that. The talking to customers, I mean, it's amazing. What amazed me, Arvid, talking to some of these people is how many customers they talk to. I mean, I'm like, we're like, we talk to 20. They're like, they talk to like 20 a week. You're just like, it's a whole different game when you can focus on the business and you don't you're not so i mean i'm super involved in product and and i am you know the the this developer on the product but this this will give me a little more breathing room to focus on the business like i hear people talk about talking to like 10 20 customers a week and i'm like that's how many we've talked to total
0: so Yeah. yeah Yeah, most people would like to talk to 200 people, but then they look at their ca- calendar and they see all the little items and they didn't just mm-hmm. turn off the Calendly, right? <laughs> okay, that's enough. Yeah, yeah I mean, you have to like it. And that's, that's, I, wonder, I wonder that about you because you're a developer and you're very outspoken about your developer stuff, which is great, but you're still a developer and we developers, you know, we like to be product people. We built the thing and that's what we do. So how do you enjoy, I guess, this foray into the other side of the business? Is that something you're looking forward to doing more?
1: It has been a learning experience for me. I mean, obviously I have Michelle, who is excellent at it, who's been helping me, you know, coaching me on interviewing customers. Um, but I think fundamentally it comes back to Aaron and I genuinely want to make people's lives better. And it sounds cheesy, I know, but like, it's true. Like we genuinely, so when I get on a call with you and let's say it's a customer interview and you're showing me this we're in this situation, you're showing me how your customers can't get the information they need out of your database, and it's frustrating, and then you have to have, you know, you have to do it, and you're doing these custom reports, like, man, I hear that, and I'm like, I could actually make your life better, and that makes, and so, so I really enjoy that aspect of it, I really do.
0: Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I feel, and how I felt when we were doing Feedback Panda. Like Before that, never cared about like who this was for. I just enjoyed the technical challenge. But the moment I noticed that these online teachers that we were serving actually had hours more in the day they could spend with their children, something flipped. Like I understood that, okay, I'm actually having a meaningful impact on somebody else's life. And ever since then, I really enjoyed that part so much more than before. Glad to hear that you have the same experience there. I think that's, that's just... A nice little level up in terms of the 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 breadth of you, of the skill set that you have as a person, right? Once you yeah. understand that you're not just a developer, you're are a helper, <laughs> you know, like at scale, you're a supporter, you're motivator, you you're just making people people's lives better. That's really cool. Okay. Glad to hear it. Well, let's let's talk about another thing, maybe a, a less less happy thing and like more of a risk um, calculation thing, you were talking about having huge enterprise customers. And from what I uh, figured out, it's like not too many of them. How, how do you see um, the risk of having just a few huge customers? And then, yeah, how, how do you see, is that a risk that you see in the business that if you if, if a couple of them churn, you have a, a lot of trouble on your hands?
1: Yeah, it feels like a huge risk to me. And it, it also feels like a risk too, because... Like this one client we have which be they're beyond wonderful. I love them. Um but we also so if they want a custom feature, we build it for them and they pay us. But you have to be very careful with that model not to build for only one customer.
0: Yeah. I also and become their agency, right? Yeah, exactly.
1: We don't want to become their agency. And, you know, and so it's, uh, to me, it feels like a really big risk. And I also think this tiny seed money is going to help us de-risk it because they are paying my salary. So they are who I work for essentially full time, even, you know, as I do it as a Hammerstone employee. So I think the money enables us to de-risk that because we can focus on the business and we can focus on seeing what other customers of that size, um, and budget need and see if, you know, see how to make the product work for multiple customers. But yeah, I I mean, I think the biggest risk there is getting kind of like sucked into the comfort too. It's very comfortable, you Mm
0: -hmm. know? Um, so there's alluring, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, but we don't, we don't want to be a consultancy. We want to be a product company. And so you have to know what you want to get what you want. So,
0: yeah, I think having some kind of funding and in particular, beyond the money, having people around you in, in the mentor network, in the the peers of, of the the cohort that you're in that have similar dreams, you know, that have a similar yeah. goal, that want to build a business that is not beholden to any large customer, that that kind of influences how what, des- what decisions you make, how you make them and for whom you really make them. Right? If it's not just for you. It's kind of for you in the future. And that makes a whole lot of difference. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to to seeing where this goes. I I think having that level of funding is the perfect thing for bootstrappers who are already showing signs of validation for product market fit. And I think you did a great job. How did you How did you get to actually have that funding? How was the application process? How, can you walk me through that a little bit? It's so a little bit funny
1: because. <laughs> um, I didn't tell my co-founder I was applying.
0: <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> <So,
1: laughs> it was a little bit funny. Um, we laugh about it now. So, actually, the so man, this is a tough decision, to be honest, because we didn't need the money. We are self-sustainable. We are making money as a business. Everything is, is working great for us as a business, I'd say. and But I have known about Tiny Seed forever. So the other day I'm driving to the gym and I say to my phone, play something I'll like, and it played startups for the rest of us.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay.
1: Which all is right. both embarrassing and telling about like what I listened to all the yeah, time. Nerd. Come on. <laughs> no, right? <laughs> so anyway, I feel like Rob Walling is my best friend, even though I have, had never met him in my life. Um so I'm very familiar with Tiny Seed. I'm also was familiar with some of the other companies that do kind of bootstrap level founding, f- uh, funding. And Tiny Seed only invests twice a year and the minimum MRR is $500. And they have a couple like constraints. So minimum MRR is $500. Um, they, what else? I feel like there was something else. You have to show some kind of product market fit. They want to see that that you already have a product. They don't invest in ideas. Like they don't, They're very B2B. And so I don't know this for a fact because I didn't ask, but I don't know if they would have invested in simple file upload just because they seem to be interested in companies that can hit those kind of enterprise level deals that can do the bigger deals um, to become more profitable. And so it's literally a Google form. I mean, it was no big deal. It was so easy. And um, it's just like, what's, what's your MRR? What's your business plan? Where are you? What are you doing? What do you think your market size is? What do you think your churn is? And so some of them, I had like cheeky answers because it's like, what's the size of your market? And I'm like, 10 million because it's all developers everywhere, you know? Um, so it's literally a Google form, easy to apply. And then I I thought we were, I, I, I was, you know, we... After I applied, I told Aaron, I was like, oh, by the way, I applied for Tiny C. Don't worry about it. It's going to be like, we're not going to get in. Um, And then we got the interview. And then you do a couple interviews. And um, yeah, (laughs) it was a whirlwind.
0: How did he take that? (laughs) Like, did he actually buy into it quickly or did you have to convince him about it?
1: Oh, no, he was all in quickly. Like, he was super excited. I mean... I think we're both like being in this world. We've just known about it, you know. He's he went to a microconf in like 2012, so he's okay. been in this world way longer than I have. And um, yeah, and it was just we filled out the form, we did the interviews. There's a couple interviews, and we got the offer. So, wow.
0: yeah, congratulations! Very, that's cool. Thank you. Lots of founders very would like to be like to be in this this position, you know, because oh, they yeah. get a lot of applications every every couple months from people who yeah. have the dream uh, you're making yeah it that's, that's cool. what
1: it It you know it's really really exciting and it's only been a month right today's that's uh, december but um it's it's just something to me it's so interesting how we perceive and move the bar of success like before i had started this SAS, i mean before i was a stay-at-home mom for like 10 years So it was like, man, I'd like to learn to code. Then I was like, I'd like to get paid to code. I'd like someone to pay me for something. And now it's like I've raised money. It just feels like this, you know, it's just cool. I don't know. It's just cool. It's exciting. I guess if you had told me five years ago that I would get tiny seed funding, I'd be like, no, there's no way. Like, I can't do that.
0: I, I'm thinking about this too. Like five years ago, I wouldn't have been able to tell you what tiny seed is. Like right. you know, and <laughs> right. even even for me being in the in the software space since 2004 or something, this whole indie hacker indie funding bootstrapping space just opened up to me during Feedback Panda, really, or like leading up to it. In, in the couple of years 2014, 15, those those kind of years that were you know before before we started the business, but that was always. There was always the willingness to explore the space, but I never took the time, always too busy being a traditional software, you know, engineer doing these things. But once I was in, in that community, man, stuff changed quite a bit. As it's uh, so cool. I, I gotta I gotta say, like I met Rob and, and Tracy at MicroConf twenty nineteen in, okay. in Europe like that that was nice. great because they they were there organizing it and honestly Rob Walling like both for you and for me probably is an enabler cuz he put me on stage with Danielle and that was a little talk that gave me in particular the opportunity to talk to more people in the space and then that kind of jump started my whole Twitter growth situation so I probably wouldn't be here doing what I'm doing without awesome. Rob Walling and MicroConf. so you know it's That's it's, awesome. I love Rob that. is having having such a such an impact on the community with the work that he's been doing for what is it now 550 episodes of startups for the rest of so us many. and so <laughs> Yo, it's something like that's such a like that is just <laughs> consistency over decades and that is yeah. mega impressive i like it blows my mind so you met them you met them too recently am i right
1: yeah we were like last week literally last week we were in austin for um the tiny seed retreat so i got to meet them finally which was which was lovely so it was pretty cool
0: yeah, that's cool. You, you, I think that was also like a microconf local there. Uh, after yes,
1: that, right? at WP Engine with Jason Cohen. Yep, there was a mm-hmm. microconf local.
0: Yeah, what do you think of conferences? Yep. You've been there as a as a tech person. Now you're kind of moving into tech entrepreneur. Do you think this is going to change how you're going to approach going to conferences? Even maybe giving different talks than giving away all your secrets so that other people <laughs> can build the thing you're already <laughs> building.
1: <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. I mean, I have deep, deep roots in the Ruby on Rails community. So I think things like RubyConf and RailsConf will always be things I want to attend. But I don't know. I do think, I mean, I do think these things change and move over time. I've never been to a microconf until last week. And so, you know, I'll go to the one in Denver this year. And um, so I I do think like from a conference perspective, you do start moving from purely technical to kind of like, not like to business of software, not the business software conference, but like to, you know, the concept of like software as a business and building a business and growing a business. And um, yeah, so so I do think there will be a little bit of a shift there.
0: Yeah. I guess that's just the development over time, right? It's like how most people in the regular employment world, they go from doing the thing to managing the thing to then deciding about the thing. I like, guess just a regular kind of career, but for solo people, for devs, for in the indie people it just takes a takes a different path uh, that that is so cool well I'm, I'm just i'm super excited to hear um how this is going to go on i'm also very excited to see how your little smaller SaaS business and the potential acquisition is going to happen i know that the people can follow your journey along on a, a couple of podcasts and not just that also twitter where would you like people to follow you and your amazing journey
1: Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I am on Twitter as Leanie Burger. I have the Software Social Podcast and the Hammerstone Podcast. And you can check out our website at hammerstone.dev.
0: I highly recommend all of these things. <laughs> thank you thank so much, you. Colleen, for being on the show today. You're welcome. And that's it for today. Thank you for listening to The Bootstrap Founder. You can find me on Twitter at avidkal, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you'll find my books on my Twitter course there as well. If you want to support me and the show, please subscribe to my YouTube channel, get the podcast and the podcast player of your choice, and leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com founder. Any of this will really, really help the show. So thank you very much for listening, and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.